Delphine, so good to be talking with you. Um, I am uh, just recently finished your quite remarkable book, Death of a Newspaperman. And um, since I guess this is my interview on my channel, I wanted to start out by asking you um, a little bit about yourself uh, and your your life in newspaper reporting, because that's chiefly what the book's about. Yeah, likewise. Thank you very much. I really t appreciate you taking the time. Uh, enjoyed your book as well, and it's a pleasure to be here. So, um, yeah, so the book, Death of a Newspaper Man, is kind of a little journey of what I dedicated the majority of my life to. I mean, you know, as far as a working career, at sixth grade, 12 years old, right around then, sixth, seventh grade is when I realized that uh, I enjoyed interviewing people, telling their stories, and as a way to not do other work. And so I started writing for the school paper around then and stuck with it, not doing so well in other subjects and uh, feeling pretty good about that because I knew that's what I wanted to do with my life. And shortly after high school, got my first job uh, working for a newspaper here in the Bay Area and uh, did everything from the weather page to uh, concert coverage to interviews eventually with uh, covering film and uh, music and breaking news and did it for as long as I could uh, until it ultimately all fell apart. And so when it did, I felt the only thing I could do was keep writing. And so I used that as a subject and voila, that was death of the newspaper man. So your life loosely traces the life of the main character, Desmond de Leon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, whose um, journey is chronicled in this book and um, really uh, chronicles a period of time where the newspaper industry, not just in San Francisco, but across the country, was undergoing some very radical changes. Um, and I think if one wants to get a colorful um, provocative and heartfelt take on that entire era, probably stretching from, I would guess, the 19, mid-90s maybe to the present. Yep, yep, yeah. Um, I think your book does an exceptional job of it. I'm very happy, by the way, that Heyday is printing books like this um, that have not only good stories, but, you know, want to say something important about these cultural shifts um, that are so frequently just taken for granted. And I think your book documents the, uh, that loss. Um, I won't say Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, I wouldn't say it comes yeah. to terms with it. But, you know, I might ask you right now, um, in writing this book, did you come to terms with this uh, – cataclysm for lack of a better word that has uh happened in the newspaper industry i would say i probably for me it was more of just an honest exploration you know a real you know the thing that really drew me to journalism and storytelling in every form whether it's music or films or writing is sincerity and what i loved about being a journalist and being a reporter was that that was that was your job you go out and you find the true story as true as, you know, and, and, and as objective versus subjective as you can be, balancing those elements. And, and, uh, 
And I noticed that that story was ironically not really being covered within our own newsrooms and our own culture. And I just kept really being kind of surprised that, that we tell everybody's story with honesty and sincerity. We challenge other people's authorities. Uh, but particularly around the time, uh, as my career was going pretty well, uh, it became bizarre how the very people who told me to always challenge, always question, uh, were suddenly telling me not to do that because times were too scary. Because um, now is not the time to do that because nobody really knows how to fix this business. And that just didn't seem like a very good answer to me. And um, so, uh, you know, I wrote the title, I think, around 2006. Because you're right, it started around the 90s. It was about 95 or 96 when I got my first newspaper job. And it was uh, with a newspaper that had just recently changed from a family-owned paper. In other words, one of those your typical newspaper baron guys uh, named Dean Lesher uh, to a corporate, Knight Ritter. And um, so I saw how a lot of people were like the very beginning stages of really what it meant to change what this job meant to be a reporter, to be an editor, to be a newspaper journalist. And, um, and as like Desmond, he, he, wakes, he works his way up from being a copy boy at a time when people still called him that to eventually a reporter. Uh, and, and that did happen for me uh, in real life as I eventually went to the San Francisco Chronicle, bigger paper. But as things were going really good for me, it felt like everything was going to hell for everyone else as far as the people who had helped me, encouraged me to, to move along. And, uh, and mm-hmm. eventually to me as well, lost my job. And, um, you know, uh, what was, re- so I wrote the book around, I think it came out last year. I think I wrote the first draft around 2009. And for me, you know, I just, when I think of journalism, I think of the Chronicle, you know, I was getting really a, annoyed with people, you know, with this attitude of like, well, we had a good run and nobody really knows how to fix this. And that's just the way it goes. And that just seemed totally contrary to everything that I thought about fighting back for stories. And that's really what I hope the book does. And I hope it has a fighting spirit. And when I think of journalism, I think of newspapers, I, I feel frustration. I feel pain. I feel shame. I feel, you know, like I, I really gave my whole heart to it. And, and yet I don't feel proud about it. And I noticed that other people who were losing their jobs or in some cases still working for the paper, but not collecting a fair salary, not collecting health care, were kind of just going along as if everything was great. And so I wanted to embrace the kind of pain and the shame and the frustration and, and explore that, the anger. You know, when I think of newspaper journalism, I, I have feelings of, you know, vindictiveness of, of, uh, mm-hmm. delusions, of grand, delusions of grandeur and just you know, not, not all you know, the emotional intelligence completely bankrupt. And, and instead of pretending that I didn't feel that way, I felt that the book was an exercise to explore that. And, and it, so I came to terms with knowing that it was okay to do that. And that's what felt most natural to me. Still don't know what the hell to do about journalism. But. So you, so you went through your own catharsis in writing the book. Um, where do you think, um, where do you think, uh, New York newspapers are right now? What are they, what kind of function are they serving? Um, and what are we missing that we had before? Well, to back up slightly, I would say that for me, the catharsis wasn't just mine. I felt it was the catharsis that everyone that I worked with from different generations, those who had been in the business from the seventies to those who had just graduated from college, 
were also feeling, but were not expressing because they were afraid to lose their jobs. So it wasn't just sure. my catharsis. I thought, so a lot of those anecdotes throughout the story are things, conversations that I would overhear and then I would kind of, you know, take a new directions and explore. Sure. Uh, and with the goal of doing different, you know, people from different backgrounds, whether it was a photographer, uh, a you know, a designer, an editor, an alcoholic, uh, uh, beat reporter, et cetera. Uh, as far as where journalism and newspaper goes now, um, I don't really know how to answer that um, other than, and that, that was kind of a big relief for me in writing the story was I felt like, well, by, by taking the form of a novel and not as an actual journalistic work of journalism, because initially somebody, you know, people were telling me you should write a nonfiction contemporary history of, yeah. say, and, and answering those questions. And I thought, well, in order to do that, you need, again, you need to, you need to be objective. You need to kind of, take all your emotions aside and, and, and take on the story that way. And for me, I wanted to do the opposite. And so that actually uh -huh. letting go, letting go of the thought that I know what's going to happen to journalism. I know what the answer is, was actually probably the most liberating thing and probably the closest to actually coming to terms with some kind of sense of uh, using my skills as a writer to, to do something. But, you know, probably the short answer to, the future of journalism, what I've always believed and I, I think is hopefully the not too preachy message in the book is that uh, the future of journalism depends on the ones who care about it most. And journalists mm -hmm. should, be, should be involved in the business decisions. They should be involved in the marketing. They should be involved not just in, in the writing and the reporting and your story's done. And, uh, if you're a, you know, it's like if you're a dentist, you don't just say, well, I just want to clean teeth. And I don't really care about anything else. I don't care about technology and I don't care about where my office is. And I don't care about how people find out about my business. You know, that, that, that dentist would be out of business. You know, you have to find a way to, so that as far as the future of newspaper journalism, I think it's, you know, I think it's more important than ever, but, uh, but until more, more um, active involvement from journalists to take ownership of journalism, I think we're pretty much fucked. What is the, um, you answered part of my question, the other part, I, and I'm asking you because, you know, we're in such an unusual time where yeah. I think people have lost a lot of faith in, you know, regular, you know, the, the standard newspapers and more faith yeah. maybe even in, tab in tabloids because they wear their uh, hearts out on their sleeves. But I'm wondering what has been lost as a result of this degradation of the traditional newspaper? What's been lost to our culture? Well, I think the most recent election is, for me, I would consider a loss. I don't know. Apparently, you know, most people in this country see that as a loss. If you count, you know, the, the, what is it, 2.5 million people who actually voted for Hillary. I think journalism is, was the biggest factor in the farce that this election was. So, you know, when I was starting journalism, I was taught that, you know, we are, our job is important because it's a part of the fabric of the Constitution. It's a part of, you know, uh, freedom of the press and informing people. And what's been lost, I think, is valuing that and actually realizing that this is actual important work that does where you should get 
um, a fair salary and, you know, healthcare and actually be able to support your family. But what's been lost is the plot on how to actually make it a business and how to make it viable. And the thought that somebody is going to figure that out for us as journalists, as opposed to us figuring out ourselves is I think is kind of the next step to get, to get, to, to find ourselves again, I guess. But, you know, also, I feel like, for, I'm, I for feel me, like maybe yeah. I'm not asking my question, Roger. You're not wanting to answer it. Um, I'm just asking, right. I'm asking a little bit bigger question, which is what is lost? Why shouldn't we all just say, well, you know, that was, that was okay. And we had people who were reporting and, and they did these big yeah. stories, but we have a lot of other means of gathering information now that we didn't then. And uh-huh. um, we have many more sources for information than we did rather than the standard, you know, evening and sometimes morning runs of the paper. So what is, yeah. what is concretely lost as a result of this? I would say uh, knowledge, um, a basic understanding okay. of what's going, on, what's going on in the world. Um, for me, I guess the, you know, what I, I don't know if I am interpreting the question, question correctly or not, but uh, there's been a real loss in value in the importance of the work of journalism. That's, that's what I, I don't know if that's a good enough answer, but that's what I got. Well, it's a loss of value, but the, that's true. But in concrete terms, what's been lost? I mean, I think, I think something has been lost, and you say knowledge, but it's a certain kind of approach to knowledge approach to gathering uh-huh. knowledge too, isn't it? You mean, I mean, you mean people don't oh, know yeah, a like lot the, of skill. Yeah, I'll I guess there's well, a lot then of I would, skill uh, involved in, in that. Sure, and a value and integrity of the actual work that, of gathering news and a process to make sure that you're not, for instance, getting fake news or information that has, has um, been corroborated and is trustworthy there's a loss of faith. There's a loss of integrity. There's a loss of value. Um, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's a loss of the plot. Uh, and I think it's reflected in our country right now more than ever, as far as being able to know where to go to even be informed as to what's going on. So, yeah. It was premised that newspapers, newspapermen, as I see it, publishers, the whole yeah. institution was premised upon the faith that a method could be used for gathering information that everyone could um, respect on yeah. a certain degree of objecti- objectivity, certain degree sure. of corroboration, you know, all those things which are also the hallmarks of science. You know, it's essentially a scientific approach to information you know, using the written word and the yeah. daily format. And I'm wondering if that trend away from the valuing of those, the valuing of those aspects of getting to reality are, are a general trend in our culture, not just in newspapers. I would agree for sure. And I think one more word I'd use for probably to summarize it's my feelings and the, and the feelings I wanted to explore in the book is I thought there's a loss of reverence for journalism, a loss of respecting 
the process of telling somebody's story in whatever format it ends up being, whether it's online or uh, recorded interview, podcast, uh, to, to do it in a way, you know, what I see is, is a, as a proliferation of irreverence. And I really wanted to create a character who was just so reverent of the ritual of what it means to have responsibility to tell someone's story and to tell, tell it and show how many different people contribute to the delivery of that story. And I'm not just talking about delivering the actual newspaper to your driveway. It doesn't really matter what method you get it. But yeah, I would say I see that everywhere. Um, it's hard to tell what is journalism, what is opinion, what is reported. Um, yes. You know, I think of, think of like, for instance, John Stewart and Stephen Colbert. I mean, there was a few years there where, you know, I think a lot of people, including myself, were getting, were going to those sources as journalism and as a place for trustworthy news because it was fun, you know, it was entertaining. It was something you could trust. Uh, and it was a refreshing to get away from the blowhardedness of journalism uh, and kind of take a more irreverent approach toward the news. And yeah. what, I, what I ended up seeing was, I think ultimately it, we got so reliant upon that, that as journalists who were still working journalists or attempting to keep their jobs in journalism, a, adopted this irreverent tone in everything. So it could be a story about, you know, it didn't matter if it was sports or breaking news or, um, you know, entertainment, you know, what I saw was a trend of how funny and hilarious and omnipotent the tone of the, the writer or the deliverer, you know, the person delivering the news is. And, um, and that really bugged me because I, you know, I think there's a time and a place. I mean, I love, I love, uh, satire. I love irreverence, but, I don't think that's really the answer. And I think, I think also this most recent election shows, you know, someone like Donald Trump, you know, satire doesn't really work. I mean, it's fun. It, it, it is cathartic to, and, it, and it's kind of refreshing to know that other people can see the crazy things that you or I might feel. But, um, but what's lost is, a, is, a, is are the basic facts, you know? Um, going back to your question about what it gets lost, I'd also say, you know, just the basic fundamentals of who the story is about, what it's about, and um, what's going on. I mean, it's you can read any newspaper story these days, and it takes you about three or four paragraphs before you even realize what the fuck you even clicked on to begin with. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know. this, the, the book is um, very interestingly constructed. Um, it's weaves in and out of the, both the personal life of Desmond de Leon and his family and um, in and out of the newspaper world to the underworld of San Francisco, so colorfully told. Um, anybody who spent enough time in San Francisco, I think, would really enjoy reading this book um, it puts things in a kind of historical perspective, and and so it's a journey not just of a uh, young man into adulthood, but the journey of a city and the journey of a newspaper. And I think you very deftly pulled off weaving all three of those into the um, 
into the narrative, um, it has a kind of uncanny uh, uh, third act, let's say, um, mm-hmm. where you, uh, where you, um, I don't want to give away the book, but where you um, rely upon the supernatural a in a way, yeah, yeah. to um, you know, to carry the narrative forward. Um, so I just wanted to ask you a little bit about that sure. technique of weaving everything together, and then and then reaching out toward to this uh, you know paranormal to um, tie it all up. Sure. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate that. It's, uh, you know, for me, the book, when I would kind of step back and say, well, what, you know, it, again, it's not a work of journalism. It's not like a, this is the answer to solve journalism. It was an exploration of the imagination. And, and then when I would step back and say like, well, you know, what am I doing to move the story forward? Well, why am I writing this? And for me, it felt like uh, two things. It would be a kind of a love letter to San Francisco where I was born, I'm a third generation San Franciscan, uh, and a city that was changing at the same, in the same way or in the same pace as the newspaper business was as well. Uh, and, yeah. and kind of a breakup let, and also a breakup letter to journalism. So that's kind of where I, I wanted the city to very much be a character. Uh, and of course, being a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, or even being an editorial assistant in my early days at the Chronicle, when I used to do the box scores for the Sporting Green and be up until midnight waiting for the last scores to come in to do, you know, for the sports page and that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, to, to tie those two together, the, you know, the, the honor you have, again, the reverence of like, wow, this is the coolest job in the world. I get paid to go around my favorite city and explore and tell stories and meet, meet people from all walks of life. I mean, that's my dream job. That's what I had worked my whole life to get toward. And I was doing it but I never could really totally enjoy it because it, again, it was, you know, being using the same method of being honest, uh, in stories, it, it was falling apart. It wasn't going so good. There was always a sense you're going to lose your job or people were getting, losing, losing their, um, losing their livelihoods left and right. And then the paranormal supernatural, that, that just kind of felt like a, again, cause you know, when, when I let go of the, the idea that I have to have the answer to journalism, uh, which you don't and like what to do about all these problems. You know, there's, there's a, you know, cities like San Francisco can be intoxicating and can be, have a kind of spooky paranormal vibe. At least that's how I like to look at things. And, um, you know, you look for the weird, you look for what may or may not exist, but what you kind of hope that exists. And so that's where I factored in the end of, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, you know, one of my favorite stories it I did the, at the Chronicle. It has the, it has the effect of um, turning the story into a kind of parable, I found. Yeah. Oh, thanks. That works for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, sometimes you want that and sometimes you don't as a writer, but obviously you did, and I think it succeeded on, um, well, you know, on a literary level. Well, thanks very much. Uh, you know, the other thing about wandering around San Francisco is, because I've had my, my grandfather, my dad's from Peru, so he's a first-generation immigrant to come here. Uh, my mom is Irish San Francisco. My grandfather is Irish San Francisco, born here in San Francisco, and my great-grandfather moved here sometime before the 1906 earthquake. Uh, 
And, you know, there's a, there's a sense of, you know, particularly, you know, in your formidable years of trying to figure out what you're supposed to do with your life and, and me walking around San Francisco and realizing, wow, my, you know, my grandfather, who I never met and my great grandfather, who I never met, um, walked these very same streets, you know, went to some of these same bars, went, had their, you know, ups and downs and tragedies and, and et cetera, and celebrations in these very, in this very same city. And, you know, I wonder where they are, you know, I wonder if, I wonder if they walk down the same street, I wonder, you know, what kind of connection I have to them. And so that again, kind of tied in, uh, in this mm-hmm. particular case with the story, I wanted to do that with past generation of journalists who may have worked or been part of the formation of what is called the San Francisco call in the book, because I was always yeah. fascinated with, you know, who else had this desk, you know, I get a little schmaltzy about that kind of stuff. And, and, yeah. um, you know, San Francisco is one of those cities that can, you know, it's fun to just, you know, grab a bevy and wander around town and wonder where the ghosts are hidden. Yeah. It's a, it's a, now that you mention it, I, I see the, um, the usefulness of ghosts, because not only are you calling on the spirit of a ghost to, um, to embody this character into, um, uh, how would one say it to, um, um, rectify the wrong. <laughs> um, yeah. but, but so you're kind of in communication with those ghosts in the, you know, through the city as, ref- as represented by your own, you know, your parents and grandparents and others. Definitely. And also, you know, the book, you know, the title death of a newspaper man, you know, the, the playoff of that with, you know, moving the story forward from the title to get toward a sense of resurrection. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I, a lot of the, uh, around the time that I was writing the book and I, and I had would, you know, share it with, you know, share the idea or share the manuscript. And so I was looking for a publisher and that sort of thing. You know, I would, Oh, this person wrote this book and it's, it's about this and about, you should check it out. And I would go check it out. And, and what I kept finding was this kind of, woe is me. My whole life has fallen apart. You know, this sucks or, you know, and I, and I didn't really want, I wanted to have a fighting spirit with it and have a sense that there's like a, I don't know, like a ancestral or, I don't know what the word is. Um, paranormal, I guess. Sense of like a, a support system that uh, was kind of pushing the character along. And that mm-hmm. kind of goes back mm-hmm. to the idea, you know, one thing I, you know, I don't know the answers of what to do about journalism, but I, I have some pretty strong feelings about it. Um, and the idea that the people who founded newspapers like the New York Times, the San Francisco Chronicle, you know, the Cincinnati Enquirer, what you know, you name the paper, and more more than likely, the ones that have been around for 100, 150 years, or so, uh, were founded by people who really gave a shit not just about the business and making money, but they actually cared about the the craft and the quality, and, and you know, they got high off of journalism. And I yeah. like the idea that you know William Randolph Hearst, right? I mean, douchebag at the end of his life for sure, but uh, but you know, we kind of forget that, you know, we, we associate that with Citizen Kane so much. And, you know, I was reading a biography of uh, his real life and, you know, he was an interesting guy who genuinely 
gave a damn about journalism. And he, yeah, his story started in San Francisco. And uh, so I would go to the very places that, I, you know, I'd read all about his biography and whatever street he was on. And then I would go and, you know, scout out ideas, whether it was a building or a street corner. And, you know, the, the first, the third, fourth, fifth, that, that kind of passion and that kind of um, intensity, I think, got diluted over the, over the generations. And so I was somewhat exploring the idea with the ghost. Uh, I don't think it's too much to give away the book, but he essentially tries to, Desi tries to uh, communicate with, you know, former generations of people who worked for and founded the newspaper. And um, so yeah, it was just, it was just kind of fun too. I mean, you know, one of the stories that I so did. Let me tell you was, how, how, let yeah. me ask you how, how has it been to, um, to um, how's the reception been? How, how's, the whole novelist world been to you? Has it been, has it lived up to your expectations? Boy, I don't know. Um, I've been out for a year. First novel, I had another book come out that was a nonfiction book. Uh, this one was obviously very personal and very, you know, you know, your, your vulnerabilities and all that shared. And so in that respect, you know, it, it's been very fulfilling to know that an idea is out in the world. And, you know, I've always, you know, attempted to, once I've written a story is to kind of move on. And I don't know how to do that, to be quite honest. Uh, so it's still new. You know, I've, I've worked with, uh, in the form of music and I've had some records out and things like that. And I'm, you know, I've learned to not really presume how people are going to receive it. The people you think will love it versus the people you think will hate it versus the people you don't even think of and how that all kind of, balances out uh at this point having the novel out i i don't know i mean i don't hear from colleagues i can tell you that uh maybe one yep. uh, i don't i don't actively pursue it either this is a you know i'm working on 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 more projects and more books and music and this one's really hard for me uh to um to fight for because i i, I know there's a fighting spirit in the book uh, you know, I wanted to fight back. I wanted to take everything I, I learned about journalism and throw it in here and, and do it in an entertaining way. But for me, uh, the reception and how to gauge whether or not it's where it should be, well, you know, I almost feel like on my deathbed, I'll probably feel more, more at, at, <laughs> in a position, well, in, in a position to an answer that question. The reason I asked you about um, how you felt in writing this book and the reception of this book is because it's so different than writing um, for newspapers where you may you know, spend maybe a month at the most, two months if it's a really important piece investigating, and then it's out there, and then you get on with it. Yeah, and, but here in the, in the writing of a novel, it seems like yours took quite a while to write, and yeah, um, there's so much invested in the writing of it—blood, sweat, and tears, and everything else—and I was just wondering how that experience was being a newspaper writer, who um, transitioning to a novelist. Yeah, not just in the well, writing, really... but in the reception of it. Well, it's a really good point because yeah, you write a paper. You write a story, it's out there, and toward the end of my journalism career, with as a as an actual reporter uh, or editor, I'd work on stories, and you know, 
I think around the end of my career is when we started using social media more. That still was around 2009 is when I stopped working at the Chronicle. So we still weren't quite to the level of getting an instant response and reception from what you wrote. And, you know, obviously, you, you know, you don't have to be even a novelist to know that or, or, or a journalist. You, you write something on Facebook or social media and you get an instant response and you literally post something, whether it's something personal about your family or, you know, something you're involved with. And, you know, your instinct is going, okay, what are people going to do? How are people going to receive that? Uh, and it's just a natural thing. And, but with this, because it actually didn't take that long to write it. It took a long time to get it out. That's for sure. But, um, you know, some of the stuff that I, I wrote were, you know, that, you know, I'll hear a reception of it, you know, from somebody telling me they're reading it. Uh, you know, I haven't actually thought about it in two, since 2009 or 10 or whenever I, I wrote the first draft. And so it's very different in that I forgot, you know, what was going on through my mind at the time. I was kind of able to write this because I would get into somewhat of a possessed zone where I wasn't thinking what the reaction was going to be. In other words, as opposed to doing a social media post, like, you know, an everyday Facebook post, or even a story that's going to come out the next day and I'm going to see what the comments are, you know, I don't even know if anybody's ever going to read it. And in a way that was yeah. really liberating because, because you just block that shit out of your head because you're not, you're, you're, you know, you're not thinking maybe, you know, to some degree, ah, you know, this person might read this and they're going to think this, haha, or they're going to think this is cooler. You know, obviously you're, you're human and you, you get those, those, those things. But when you're actually physically writing it and you're getting ready to, to craft it in that format of a novel, you can't think about those things because you don't know when it or if it's ever going to come out. And instead of being yeah. discouraged by that, instead of being discouraged by that, I found that to be extremely liberating. Uh, and then weird later when, when sure enough, those same people would, you know, I might run into somebody who I was thinking about when I wrote a certain thing, like, oh shit, I completely forgot about that. Um, <laughs> uh, so, and it's, so I like that, you know, it's, it's always, always the, uh, you know, it's that unknown X factor where you don't really know what's going to happen. Whereas opposed to a story, you know, it's going to come out the next day. So uh, right. I prefer, you know, it'd be nice to have a little bit of both because obviously, you know, the ups and downs of writing is, you know, that's that, but you know, it, I guess a, a learning lesson for sure to know that it's okay to not know what's going to happen and how it's going to be received. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Nope. Um, I hear you. I hear you. Um, it's a different type of discipline, uh, a different mindset than most any other kind of writing. And it really requires a quieting down and a very uh, thoughtful form of listening to yourself. Exactly. That... Um, probably is more of what we need today in the world in general. <laughs> but just as yeah. it's not valued in the world, it just as it's not valued in the world much anymore, it doesn't seem to be all that valued um, in writing. I think novels yeah. are going through a very, diff very difficult time. Um, it may have been a genre that's, whose time has passed. Um, so it's fascinating to me when... I've written four four novels and five books, 
fascinating to yeah. me when I find someone with a, you know, your kind of fire in the belly and your kind of ambition uh, striking out to do it. Um, well, thanks. You know, yeah. one, one might you. think, you know, you, one might think you're mad for doing it, but yet yeah. there's something about doing it that is its own reward. And it's hard to often tell people that have or, or convince people of that when they ask you how much money you've made and you tell them not much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, amen. And, and it's also, you know, the only thing you can do, I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's, there's definitely parallels with a reverence and a respect for, for the, the craft of writing a novel. Uh, but at some point, you know, you kind of, you know, you, if that's what you want to do with your life, you just, you kind of just got to do it and not, and not, um, get too caught up in, in the whole anxieties of it. And, um, and so, yeah, now for me, one of the things that did help me go along before I found the great publishers of Rare Bird and Tyson to put it out, which I'm very grateful for, um, was I thought about my kids a lot. And I, I and as far as like when I, cause you know, to some degree you do, you know, it's only natural. You're working on something. If you're an artist, whether it's, you know, music, film, writing, you have an innate need and longing to share it with people and there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. Right. And, um, yeah. And you know, and it's very easy to get roadblocks into overthinking that nobody's going to care or going the other extreme where you think everybody's going to love this. It's going to solve all my problems and et cetera. And for me, the balance that I found was I would, I would think of an audience that hasn't been born yet. And I would think in particular about, okay, you know, Chronicles, you know, was important to me because I dedicated my life to it. Journalism is what I did. And I would think if a book like this came out in, say, 1915, and nobody gave a shit, and I found it in a library somewhere in a corner, you know, I would eat that up, and I would, I would love that it existed. And, and, and I take mm. some, some comfort in thinking in those terms. And, and more personally, I thought about my kids a lot because I have two, two kids. I've got an uh, 11-year-old boy and a 7-year-old girl. And, you know, when I lost my job at the Chronicle, I had no job for, I, know, I was unemployed for a while. There was tons of people who had my exact same skill set who had no work. And it was very, very difficult. We were in the Great Recession. And, you know, I felt a very deep sense of shame that the only thing I felt that I was good at was gone. And so naturally, the only thing to do while I was trying to figure out how to take care of my family was to write. And I would think about them when I would think, you know, someday, you know, they're going to be their own, you know, uh, their own neurotic selves in the future. And they're going to wonder what to do with their lives. And this could be something that the very minimum, if I have it completed, um, you know, this is who their dad was. You know, this is what I, this is what I value. This is what I cared about. And so that was my way of not getting too caught up in the whole um, frustrations of, of what it means to be make a living as a novelist or a musician or filmmaker, et cetera. So that, mm -hmm. that was real. Yeah. That was also for, that was, that was my kind of secret weapon. It was like, I'd rather hear you. have that out there and my kids can say, ah, you know, that's what my dad did. And, um, and, and, you know, hopefully read, you know, my kids reading one of my books now from that's a nonfiction book. And he gave up on it. I think after about four pages, <laughs> but you know, he's 11. So maybe when he's 16, I'll go back and read it again. And, 
And, you know, that's my way yeah. of connecting with my family, just probably like the same way I wanted to connect with, say, my, my grandfather, my grandfather, just kind of leave something. This is my contribution to mankind. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll see what kind of I hear you. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people who are writers other than um, a lot of journalists, actually, whose ultimate goal is to write a novel. I've, I did some work with LA Times for as a uh, kind of feature writer for the LA Magazine um, yeah. when it was still there. And um, I've known a number of journalists, and they all want to be novelists in the end. And I've always wondered about that. I wasn't sure they knew what they were getting into. But I think there must be something about that long form and the uh, the um, pure reliance on the imagination to cobble yeah. things and weave things together that is uh, in most journalists. Yeah. And I'm wondering yeah. if you... If you, if you saw that in in your uh tenure at the uh at the chronicle uh yeah i think so or people talking about writing or i don't know yeah a lot of people sure. i work a lot of, a lot of people worked on a lot of nonfiction books and, and some of them i know have done pretty well and and i'm happy for them and I'm always always do my best to to read anything anybody's done not only in the paper but outside especially these days because that's kind of the way we keep in touch uh, or at least the way I try to keep in touch is when I hear a former colleague of mine has got a new project and and it's kind of I think ironically more more of that stuff is probably happening now because of circumstances. Of, sure. You know, when you had that steady job and you had that regular beat and you had that novel kicking around your head, you never really got to it. But also when you when you don't have that regular work, then you, you end up whether it's destiny or circumstance, you end up going down that route. But you know, I, I wrote my first I think novel when I was eight, eight years old, I just found it the other day. It was uh, something about a time machine. Um, so it was kind of before journalism was on my radar. You know, I was writing little short stories and things like that. I think it was because I, I had a third grade teacher who wrote a book uh, and, uh, you know, with share, I don't know if she self published it or not. I don't really remember, but I was, you know, mesmerized that, Oh, you can actually, just write a book and these are your ideas. You just put them together out of your head and throw them out there. And, and so that was for me very empowering and I was very impressed with that. Um, so I, so I've always had the long, long term dream to do that. And, um, but I would definitely credit being a journalist and getting the discipline of actually forcing myself to finish something and know that I could measure whether or not I had made any progress to some degree by if I had actually written a story or I was just talking about writing a story. And uh, so, so the two, I can see why they go hand in hand for lots of people. I mean, it's, um, so let me ask you uh, one last question. Let me ask you one last question in closing. If you were, um, if you were sitting across a table from an aspiring young, aspiring writer, say who's, you know, 20 years old, and he had the choice of becoming a journalist or a newspaper man, as you um, call it in your book, yeah. or a um, novelist. What advice would you give him on what path to pursue? 
Figure it out on your own. That's the best <laughs> advice I've taken. You know, stop looking for advice. That would probably be the best advice somebody ever gave me was advice is overrated. Um, do what feels do I do what you got to do, do what you love to do and strive to make them both the same. Mm. That's what somebody told me once. So you, and, uh, just, yeah, so I, mean, I feel in, like you went in, go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying, uh, so you I, wouldn't I advise would. them to, 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 uh, stay away from both. I wouldn't advise them to do anything other than whatever they're working on in that moment. They give it all they got and, uh, and remember to enjoy it too. Cause that's the, that's probably the last thing I would, I would, um, I'd say is, uh, you know, I thought writing a novel, you'd have to be like a miserable drunk and, you know, your life, you know, you know, like it's just, just, you know, the cliches that go along with it. And some of them that are, correspond with being a newspaper journalist as well. But for me, it was the most sobering fun when I actually was just physically doing it. So my only advice would be to just, you know, find out on your own, explore and see what you enjoy the most. And, you know, don't go into the story, whether it's journalism or novel writing, thinking you know what's going to happen to the story and to yourself. Because I don't fucking know. I don't know what's going to happen, you know. With my next book, or, or let alone to be able to do that for somebody else, so that's kind of the whole point of it, right? It's the whole, the whole experience. So, well, I I certainly wish you well in your next uh, venture yourself, and uh, thank you so much for, for writing this really wonderful book. I found it um, very heartfelt. Um, I can feel your soul in the writing of the book and every, the writing itself is very sound and and sometimes quite beautiful and lyrical. And more than that, I really felt it was a meaningful book um, that speaks to issues that we confront today and was willing to step out um, and use the imagination to address things that matter to us. And well, right back um, so at thank you so I much, Delphine. Thank you so and, much. Um, I really enjoyed, enjoyed speaking with you. All right, my friend. Take care.